Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Merry Christmas. And Glenn Leverins. That's how I know. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of this special edition of Morning Air as we continue to honor the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, whose funeral in St. Peter's Square concluded just a few hours ago. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance. It's a joy and it is truly a privilege to be with each and every one of you, our Relevant Radio family, on this historic day uh, here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, this morning, um, Pope Francis became the first pope in modern history to preside as the pope at the funeral of his predecessor, as was heard here live on Relevant Radio. And since the live funeral mass took place very, very early in the morning for the vast majority of us here in the U.S. and uh, in North America, Relevant Radio will be presenting a rebroadcast of the funeral mass a little bit later today at 12 p.m. noon central here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Coming up in just a, a few minutes, uh, we'll have more on the life and the funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, who will join us live from the Vatican. want to bring in um, the birthday boy, uh, my morning air news anchor. Uh, Glenn Levers. Glenn, uh, big day today. The eyes of the world uh, on the Vatican for this uh, really, truly uh, historic uh, papal funeral, uh, one that we will probably never see in our lifetimes again. You know, just uh, looking at something like that, a funeral at the Vatican of uh, a former pope, it's uh, its just amazing. Uh, the beauty of the church, the solemnity of the church, uh, the simplicity of the casket in the midst of all the grandeur around him, uh, and just all the people uh, with that outpouring of affection. No no question uh, about it. Uh, it. It was very moving. Uh, I uh, was blessed enough to get up in the middle of the night to see the vast majority of it and to to listen to it here on our network on, on Relevant Radio uh, live from Rome. And as I mentioned, we are going to rebroadcast it again at noon Central Time. That's uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, Glenn, th- there's so much to talk about, and we've been hearing from some fabulous uh, guests. J.D. Flynn, who was actually on the ground in the, in the first hour and really kind of painted the scene, painted the picture of what it was actually like there in St. Peter's Square with all those priests and cardinals and bishops and uh, and the faithful, about 60,000 on hand, who truly witnessed uh, something very special, something very holy. J.D. talked about uh, anything from just the international representation there with folks uh, around the world that he talked to, as well as the, the cool temps that did not dissuade people from coming out. And uh, some of the numbers include 3,700 priests, 3,700 priests con-celebrating. That's, that's an amazing number. Yeah, it was a truly amazing. And, of course, I couldn't help but... 
but go back in time and reminisce about uh, the historic funeral of uh, St. John Paul II, which at the time was described as the greatest television event uh, in history. And, and so it, 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 it um, made me take a peek and see what the, uh, you know, you and I being media guys, seeing what, how it was being covered by the other networks. I noticed that Fox and CNN carried it live. Uh, of course, uh, you know, Vatican uh, uh, radio and television carried it live for, and for many other uh, Catholic outlets, uh, including um, us here at Relevant Radio. But uh, what was interesting was that ABC, CBS, uh, and NBC uh, chose not to, to air this Mass. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, maybe not the the biggest surprise about that. Uh, happy to see some cable news channels were there to, to cover that. And, of course, Catholic media doing a fine job of that as well. Um, Glenn, I wanted to share a little bit of, of audio of uh, the Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis, who, who did a magnificent job presiding in this uh, Requiem Mass uh, for uh, his predecessor, uh, Pope Benedict. Here are uh, some of his words from the final farewell. Dear brothers and sisters, in celebrating the sacred mysteries, we have opened our minds and hearts to joy-filled hope. With confidence, we now offer our final farewell to Pope Emeritus Benedict and commend him to God, our merciful and loving Father. May the God of our fathers, through Jesus Christ, his only Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, deliver Pope Emeritus Benedict from death, that he may sing God's praises in the heavenly Jerusalem in expectation of the resurrection of his mortal body on the last day. May the Blessed Virgin Mary, Queen of the Apostles, and Salus Populi Romani, intercede before the Eternal Father, that he may reveal the face of Jesus his Son to Pope Emeritus Benedict, and console the Church on her pilgrimage through history as she awaits the Lord's return. And Glenn, as I uh, chatted with uh, Bishop Scharfenberger, Pope Benedict's uh, reported last words, Lord Jesus, I love you. How moving for this, this teacher, this theologian, this lover of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's been said for all the words that he spoke and wrote, the great theologian he was, all the thought that went into that faith life, boiling it down to four or five words, uh, most important of all, at the at the very end, and uh, that uh, carrying that faith to the very end. May we all have those words on our mind, if not on our lips, in our last moments. Well, Glenn, uh, happy birthday, my brother. Hey, thank you so much, John. Thank you so much. It's a big day for you and obviously a big day for our church. Uh, thanks again. We, uh, we begin uh, every morning, and uh, including this uh, special edition of Morning Air, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, always through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. And this morning, in a really special way, we pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray. 
Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from John eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus the Lord says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was focused on Jesus Christ. He was Christocentric and truly believed the words of Jesus in the gospel. Christ is the resurrection and the life. He is our true hope. Let's continue to pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And we pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, Joseph Ratzinger was ordained a priest in 1951. The future Pope Benedict XVI contributed to the Catholic Church way, way before he was elected to the papacy. First as a young uh, theological advisor, I believe he was only about 35 years old at the time in the Second Vatican Council, and then as the head of the Vatican's doctrinal office under uh, Pope John Paul II. Pope Benedict XVI will be remembered as a theologian, he'll be remembered as a priest, as a bishop, and especially as a teacher with his many prolific writings on our Lord Jesus Christ that always defended the traditional teachings of the Catholic Church. The pontificate of Pope Benedict XVI began on Tuesday evening, April 19, 2005. It was a historic and electrifying moment seen around the world on live television as a sea of humanity with flags waving from all corners of the world waited in anticipation for the 264th successor of St. Peter in St. Peter's Square. Shortly after white smoke appeared from the Sistine Chapel and the bells of St. Peter's began to ring, the Cardinal Protodeacon Jorge Cardinal Medina made the announcement in dramatic fashion. Annuncio vobis gaudium magnum. I announce to you a great joy. Abemus papam. We have a pope. After 17 days of mourning for Pope John Paul II and the first papal conclave of the millennium, which lasted less than two days, 78-year-old Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger ascended to the throne of St. Peter, taking the name Pope Benedict XVI, becoming the first German pope in nearly a thousand years. The new Holy Father, dressed in his papal vestments, stepped onto the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica amidst cheers of Viva il Papa and greeted the city of Rome and the world, raising his hands to the cheering crowd. Cari fratelli e sorelle, dear brothers and sisters, Dopo il grande Papa Giovanni Paolo II, after our great Pope John Paul II, i signori cardinali hanno eletto me un semplice umile lavoratore nella vigna del Signore. simple humble worker in God's vineyard. Pope Benedict XVI continued in the footsteps of Pope John Paul II and at 78 years old was the oldest to become Pope in more than a century. He was also the first German pontiff since Victor II in the 11th century. Pope Benedict XVI was also a man of great faith, a career world-class theologian who continued the teachings of the Second Vatican Council and was a strong defender of the Catholic faith 
Just before his election, the Holy Father warned of the dictatorship of relativism during his homily to open the papal conclave. On May 9, 2005, Pope Benedict announced that he had waived the five-year rule to begin the beatification process for Pope John Paul II. His first visit outside of Rome would be to Bari in the southeast of Italy at the International Eucharistic Congress to celebrate the Year of the Eucharist. Pope Benedict XVI set the tone of his papacy early in his first 100 days by meeting with Muslim and Jewish leaders, showing that the ecumenical focus emphasized by John Paul II would continue. Pope Benedict XVI took center stage in August of 2005 at World Youth Day in Cologne, Germany, where he made his first international trip as well as his much-anticipated homecoming to his native Germany. Over 1.2 million young people gathered to see the Vicar of Christ. The body and blood of Christ are given to us so that we ourselves will be transformed in our turn. We are to become the body of Christ, his own flesh and blood. In January of 2006, Pope Benedict promulgated his first encyclical called Deus Caritas Est, God is Love. Later that September, the Holy Father delivered the now famous Regensburg Address entitled Faith, Reason, and the University. The controversy the speech caused led to violence and vandalism around the Muslim world. I spoke on the relationship, relationship between faith and reason. I included a quotation on the relationship between the religion and violence, this quotation unfortunately was misunderstood. In no way did I wish to make my own the words of the medieval emperor. I wish to explain that not religion and violence, but religion and reason go together. In late 2006, Unprecedented security measures protected the Holy Father during a trip to Turkey. Pope Benedict XVI also revived a number of traditions, including elevating the Tridentine Mass to a more prominent position when he issued the motu proprio letter Sumorum Pontificum. And in November of 2007, the Holy Father promulgated the encyclical Spes Salvi on the virtue of hope. In April of 2008, during his visit to the United States, Pope Benedict was received at the White House on his 81st birthday. He would meet with sex abuse victims from the Boston Archdiocese, address the United Nations General Assembly, visited Ground Zero, and celebrated Mass at Nationals Park and Yankee Stadium. In June of 2008, the Holy Father opened the Year of St. Paul with Vespers at Rome's Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls. And in July, Pope Benedict visited Australia to participate in World Youth Day. He made a historic full apology for child sex abuse during a Mass with over 3,400 on hand. In March of 2009, the Holy Father announced that a year for priests would be celebrated. And in July of that year, Pope Benedict issued his third encyclical called Caritas in Veritate on problems related to global development. In January of 2010, the Holy Father visited the synagogue of Rome. And in March of 2012, Pope Benedict traveled to Cuba for a three-day visit. 14 years after Pope John Paul II went to Cuba. On December 3, 2012, 
the Holy Father's Twitter account goes live in seven languages and would eventually have over a million followers. On February 11, 2013, Pope Benedict XVI announced that on February 28th, he would resign as Supreme Pontiff due to his advanced age and deteriorating health, becoming the first Pope to resign since Gregory XII in 1415. The Vatican also announced that a conclave would be convened shortly thereafter to elect a new Pope. On January 13, 2020, Pope Emeritus Benedict published a book expressing his view that the church must maintain its discipline of clerical celibacy in light of ongoing debate on that issue. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI became the longest-lived pope on September 4, 2020 at 93 years, 141 days, surpassing the age of Pope Leo XIII. During his nearly eight-year papacy, Pope Benedict XVI traveled to 19 countries, wrote three encyclicals, 21 apostolic letters, two apostolic exhortations, and seven apostolic constitutions. Pope Benedict XVI will always be remembered for his teachings and his prolific writings that always defended traditional Catholic doctrine and values. Pope Benedict XVI died on December 31st on the vigil of the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, at the age of 95. May he rest in peace. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, we'll have more on the funeral and the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, who will join us live from the Vatican with much more. So stay with us as this special edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Gracious Father, we commend to your mercy Pope Emeritus Benedict, whom you made successor of Peter and shepherd of the Church, a fearless preacher of your word and a faithful minister of the divine mysteries. Welcome him, we pray, into your heavenly dwelling place to enjoy eternal glory with all your chosen ones. We give you thanks, Lord, for all the blessings that in your goodness you bestowed upon him for the good of your people. Please grant us the comfort of faith and the strength of hope. To you, Father, source of life, through Christ, the conqueror of death, in the life-giving spirit, be all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And those were the words of Pope Francis uh, with his final blessing uh, at the funeral mass of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Welcome back to this special edition of Morning Air as we continue to honor the life and the legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverens. Uh, Gabby is with us in studio. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, as we've been talking about all morning, the eyes of the world that were on Vatican City uh, to say our final goodbye to Pope Benedict XVI, one of the world's foremost theologians, the first pope to retire 
in almost 600 years who passed away on New Year's Eve on the vigil of the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. Earlier this morning, Pope Francis presided over the funeral of his predecessor, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, in St. Peter's Square. And what a scene it was as we now go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Nerona, for uh, much more on the funeral and the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Ashley and her husband John founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome, and you can read more about them at johnandashley.org. Buongiorno, good morning, Ashley. Thanks so much for joining us uh, from Roma on this very special and historic day. It is a joy to be with you. Oh, John, thank you so much. Yes, indeed. It was a morning of hope. And uh, as we said in the liturgy today in the prayers of the faithful, we were indeed gathered to celebrate the defeat of death and the hope of the coming kingdom for our beloved Papa Benedetto. Papa Benedetto, indeed. Uh, it was such a beautiful Mass. I, I got to confess mm-hmm. to you, you know, obviously here in the central time zone, this is the middle of the night, uh, but I right. uh, felt called to get up early and to witness it, to see it with my own eyes and to take in the sights and the sounds and watch it uh, here on, on the relevant wow. radio uh, app and on the, on the website. Uh, so uh, I, I got to at least get a taste of it. Nothing like what you got to see Amazing. there on the ground uh, in Rome. Can you give us a your 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 um, witness, you, you know, a little bit of the feeling of what it was like in uh, St. Peter's Square uh, for this beautiful yeah. requiem mass uh, for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, presided by his successor, uh, Pope Francis. Yes, indeed. Well. John, first of all, that's really amazing that you <laughs> were able to to be there. Live I did it for JP too, so I figured it's the least I could yeah. do. Yeah. That is so, well, that's beautiful. And I want to tell you too that you and our Relevant Radio family were also in my heart as my husband John and I were there in St. Peter's Square this morning. And it was, there, was, there was quite a mood in the square. First of all, uh, people camped out last night. People <laughs> slept out in order to be at the beginning of the line so that they could be as close as possible during the Mass. Uh, people, of course, came from throughout Europe and different parts of the world in order to be here and participate. There were 3,900 priests who can celebrated the Mass this morning. It was so exciting to see the sea of white of the priests in their white vestments and white surpluses. We sat right in that area with them this morning. There were 450 bishops amongst those can celebrating as well. And there was, it was so interesting because there was such a a mood of reverence, also respect, which is interesting. And the reality is, is that when St. Peter's Square is busy, when there's tourists flocking around, you don't always get that same feeling of respect. But today it was there. And also a beautiful sense of silence throughout the liturgy. As as during this somber day, people seemed to be very deep in prayer. It was interesting because it was a foggy day today, John. And so we we get these days every now and then that's so foggy that we can't see the dome of St. Peter's Basilica. And that's always a bit disconcerting when you walk towards the basilica and the dome is just gone. Uh, But uh, it was funny. During the Our Father, the sun came out for for just a short time and started burning away. Doesn't surprise me, Ashley. That does not, that is not an accident. Right, right. A God incident. 
yeah, indeed, indeed, a God wink. And it it was about 50, about 53 degrees. So it's a bit cooler today than we've had in these past days, but, but comfortable for everyone who, who, you know, was out there and, and there for hours and hours, of course, waiting. And people held up banners. They held up banners that said, thank you, Pope Benedict. Of course, there were Santo Subito Saint immediately banners as well. And today, Pope Francis spoke about in his homily, he spoke about the wisdom and the tenderness and the devotion of Pope Benedict. And he also prayed that all of us would have that same kind of wisdom, tenderness, devotion. And we prayed together that the joy of Pope Benedict XVI would be complete as he would now be hearing the voice of God forever and ever. And of course, that is our prayer. And that's what Pope Benedict XVI asked us to continue to pray for, uh, to pray for his soul on, the, on this journey that he's on right now. So the Mass, as you mentioned, John, indeed, Pope Francis was there. He presided. The Mass was actually celebrated um, by, by uh, Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Bray, who it was the, he used to be actually the, the head of the Congregation for Bishops. And his time there overlapped with some of the papacy of Pope Benedict XVI. So he knew him from those days. So it was a significant thing. We expected to see Pope Francis actually participate in some of the rites, that he was going to bless the, the coffin at the end with holy water and uh, use the incense, although he did not. Um, it, it probably it was more of a last minute decision. He instead stayed in his wheelchair. But a very moving moment that we did see was that as the papal chamberlains, the pallbearers, took and lifted Pope Benedict's coffin, walked it up the stairs of St. Peter's Basilica there. Pope Francis stood on top of the stairs, got out of the wheelchair, and blessed the coffin, put his hand onto the top, laid his head down on the top, and, and took a moment of silence. So that was certainly a moving moment. And then as the pallbearers continued on their way, the crowd broke out in applause. The applause along with the chant of Benedetto. Uh, Benedetto, and then they clap. And uh, so there was just, as I said, it was just a morning of hope, John. It was such a, a beautiful Requiem Mass. Uh, I, I was impressed uh, by uh, Pope Francis uh, repeating the words and meditating on the words of our Lord Jesus, one of those final seven mm -hmm. words on, on the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, uh, mm -hmm. as he was remembering uh, the spirit of Pope Francis, of Pope Benedict, yes, I should say. Of Pope Benedict, yeah. And in fact, he, he tied that into the suffering that Pope Benedict went, endured during his lifetime and how quietly he did that. And he said, uh, Pope Francis today said that feeding, meaning feeding the sheep, means loving. And loving means being ready to suffer. And we certainly saw Pope Benedict very gracefully 
taking on that kind of suffering. And as he promised us that he would do at his retirement, we can only expect that this was offered especially for the church. Well, Ashley, uh, there is uh, so much to talk about when it comes to the life and legacy of Pope Benedict XVI. You've experienced it. You've lived it. You've been there on the front lines. Uh, Your final thoughts on this uh, special, uh, this historic day. Yes, John. You know, one thing that's very striking is that you probably noticed that the gospel was laid on top of the coffin of Papa Benedetto, and it was open there throughout the, the funeral mass. And I, I, I realized how significant that was, because if you go to a funeral of a head of state, right, they'll lay the, the national flag across the coffin. But instead, the, the gospel being there was the identity of our Pope. And so it seemed so significant and so perfect. And, you know, now, of course, we will, we will miss not having him there in the gardens, knowing that he's, he's not there praying. But now he's, he's more, his prayers are more powerful than they ever could have been. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity when we can visit him again in his new site of interment, when he will be laid in the grottos underneath the main floor of St. Peter's Basilica, in the same spot where his beloved predecessor, Pope St. John Paul II, was first laid, and Pope St. John XXIII was laid before him. So again, um, I, I will continue to pray for our relevant radio family when I have the opportunity to visit and to offer all of our intentions right there at his feet, John. Thank you for all your prayers. Uh, grazie, uh, mm. Ashley. Uh, thanks for, for joining us uh, from uh, the Vatican on this very special historic day. Viva il Papa, John. Viva il Papa. <laughs> Ashley Morona, our Rome correspondent. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We're going to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, we'll be joined live by the host of the Family Rosary Across America, Father Francis Hoffman. Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio, will be with us for much more on the life and the legacy and the contributions of Pope Benedict XVI to America and to the world. So stay with us. There is much more to come on this special edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to this special edition of Morning Air as we continue to honor the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, as heard earlier this morning on a relevant radio live from the Vatican. And of course, we will rebroadcast the entire uh, beautiful funeral mass here on relevant radio at uh, 12 noon today here uh, on the network. Uh, we're now joined live by the host of the Family Rosary Across America, Father Francis Hoffman, Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio, for much more on the life and legacy and some of the contributions of Pope Benedict XVI to America and to the world. Father Rocky is a priest of Opus Dei who was ordained by Pope St. John Paul II. Good morning, Father Rocky. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a great joy to be with you, especially on this historic day. It is an historic day today, John. We're still in the Christmas season, and I was listening to that wonderful interview with Ashley 
Neronia. She's live from Rome. We're very blessed that Ashley's been our Rome correspondent for a number of years, and she described the situation. I've been following the newscasts and all that. We're going to rebroadcast the funeral mass of Benedict XVI a little bit later today at noontime central in case our listeners were not able to get up at 2.30 in the morning central time uh, to reach it. And it pretty much came off as I thought it would. I was uh, very happy to see how Pope Francis characterized um, Benedict XVI as a great master of catechesis. Now, that might be a complicated word for people who may not be very close to Catholic faith. Catechesis is the teaching of the Catholic faith, which is really essential. And so I was thinking, you know, what is the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI? Well, some people may recognize it as something today. It may be recognized as something different 25, 50, 100 years from now. But um, in the various interviews I've been having on various networks uh, recently, you know, the first thing I said, he'll be remembered, remembered as the right-hand man of St. John Paul II, who some people refer to St. John Paul the Great because I think his pontificate was quite singular. And he served as his uh, theological advisor and the head of the Congregation Doctrine of Faith for 25 years. In fact, he was one of the electors of John Paul II. He was a very young cardinal, maybe 49 or 50 years old. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church is truly a monumental contribution to the life of the Church, because the previous catechism for the Church came from the um, Council of Trent in the 1500s. It was 400 years later, and it was in response to um, a uh, an extraordinary synod, which is a gathering of bishops, in Rome in 1985, which was 20 years after Vatican II, And a number of the bishops said there to John Paul II, ordinary Catholics are confused about what the church teaches. One priest says this, another priest says that, one author writes this, another author writes that, one bishop says this, another bishop says that. It's time to clarify things for the sake of the faithful. And uh, St. John Paul II agreed with that, but he said we need to make it a truly collegial affair, a consultative process, and as far as I can tell, I'm not, you know, a, a, uh, a consummate uh, historian of the church, but I, I know a certain amount. It was the first time that all of the bishops in the world were consulted on this project. More than 4,000 bishops contributed to the drafting of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. They were able to um, express their opinions and their concerns. Theologians participated. And after seven years, in 1992, it was released to the public on December 8th. 1992, I remember, because I was in Rome, in St. Peter's Square, the day it was released. It wasn't released originally in English, but it was released in Italian and in French, Spanish, I think, as well as in Polish. The English version would come out two years later, because there's a lot of back and forth on translation of it. And then I would say the official, official Latin version came out in 1995, which is the second edition, somewhat revised with a couple of um, corrections to the text. But that was um, uh, Pope uh, Benedict XVI as Joseph Ratzinger, head of the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith. And so it is a it is a sure norm for teaching the faith. And it's very key to what we do at Relevant Radio because we have three guiding principles. The first one is we're faithful to the magisterium. That's was a capital M. That's the official teaching of the church and the catechism of the Catholic Church. And the second uh, guiding principle of Relevant Radio is we're united to the bishops, and the third is we're under the protection of Our Lady. So it's really kind of key to us. So I think that's going to be his legacy. He was the right-hand man of John Paul II. 
He is the man responsible for the publication of the Catechism of Catholic Church. He'll also remember as a great uh, writer and theologian. In fact, a lot of people have been reading um, have considered him the smartest man they ever knew. And these are com- these are comments coming from really smart people like George Weigel and others who are great authors. And he published during his pontificate a trilogy of books called Jesus of Nazareth. The first one is on pretty much the Sermon on the Mount. The second one is on the Passion of the Lord. And the third one is on the infancy narratives. They're very well done. I've read them. In fact, I've read six books by Joseph Ratzinger, also known as Benedict XVI. The first one was the Ratzinger Report from the mid-'80s, published by Ignatius Press. Do you, did you ever read that, John? Um, I did not read the whole thing. I'm more focused on uh, the encyclicals. In fact, I have uh, Deus Caritas Essence Salvi uh, right here in studio with me. Uh, is a, just a never-ending reminder of the brilliance of this uh, prolific uh, writer and teacher. And, you know, I, I love his clarity, just his clarity. Exactly. It's, it was amazing. You know, I think he is one of the smartest guys of all time. Right. People are calling for him to be named Doctor of the Church. And this morning there were signs in St. Peter's, as Ashley alluded to, Santo Subito, reminiscent of John Paul II's funeral. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that quick. Um, usually to become a doctor of the church, several centuries have to go by. But um, I discovered his um, Ratzinger report in the late 80s, early 90s. It's uh, got a red cover. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy is really clear to the point. Um, he unmasks what the problems are. He calls them out. There's one chapter in there in which he recalled when Pope Paul VI, on November 15, 1972, during his Angelus Address, said that the Church, he said he had the feeling that the Church has been penetrated through some crack or another by the smoke of Satan. I remember that, sure. And that its smoke has risen to the highest levels. Uh, it's kind of a shocking statement, and the world press kind of erupted in in rebellion at the mention of Satan. And the, but he insisted on the point, Paul VI. He said, um, Satan is not just a, a personification, but a real living being, enemy number one. And he called it out. And what was going on in November 1972? Not only was there tremendous confusion in the church after Vatican II, but that's when the Supreme Court in the United States was debating Roe versus Wade. That was November 1972. It's also the time when there were presidents of Catholic universities from throughout the world meeting in Rome to come to a common consensus about what's the nature and purpose of Catholic University. And the document that came up with, um, you know, I, I thought was really quite confusing. In the first place, it said Catholic universities are not involved in proselytism, which is word meaning trying to bring me to the Catholic faith. And I'm thinking, well, why do you have a Catholic university? You know, if you're not interested in bringing people to Catholic faith, what a waste of time and energy. Anybody can do a university. But if you've got a Catholic university, it should be primarily interested in promoting the truth and teachings of Jesus Christ. So there's a tremendous amount of confusion, and he sort of unveiled it in that book, The Ratzinger Report. And you go on with a number of other books. So I read his Catechism. That was the second. You know, even though it was published under John Paul II, it really was the work of Benedict XVI. I read his three books, the trilogy, and then his last book uh, made a big impact on me. It was called Jesus, Light of the World. And um, he speaks about Eucharistic renewal and how the renewal of the church really comes through the renewal of reverence for the Holy Eucharist, centrality of the Holy Eucharist, 
And the fundamental teachings of the Church of how to be well-prepared for receiving the Holy Eucharist, be a practicing Catholic, to be in the state of grace, so you promote the sacrament of confession. And, um, you know, so this is all part of his legacy. Part, another part of the legacy is you can retire. You can retire, right? Um, historians will in on that, whether it was the right thing to do or wrong thing to do. Um, Dante, in his... Um, in his uh, review of Celestine V, who was the last pope to retire in, I think it was 1284, 1286, um, Dante did not treat Celestine V well, <laughs> right? And although the later church, later the church canonized him, right? But um, the fundamental point, I would say, if you could wrap up the ministry and the work of Benedict XVI is his clear proclamation that Jesus Christ is God. Now, how does that help me as a priest and as, you know, college-educated person who's also written books and, and knows other languages and has got graduate degrees and all that, you know, it, it, God made me somewhat smart, but I'm not hugely smart, but Benedict is, like, really, really smart, right? Absolutely. And so <laughs> I pay attention to people who are really, really smart. And when you read his three books on Jesus of Nazareth, you can see that he is completely familiar with all of the challenges of biblical exegesis. Now, for our listeners out there, um, exegesis is just a fancy word for Bible scholarship, right? Uh, picking words apart. So he's familiar with the challenges of, well, who really wrote that, and how do we know they wrote that, and did those miracles actually happen, and so on and so forth. And at the end of it, you know, he emerges with a very, very clear sense that Jesus Christ is God. He is who he says he is. And these miracles are true. And um, he found it, you know, as the answer to all of uh, life's problems. So we will pray for the repose of his soul. I think his reputation will only grow with time, just like John Henry Newman, right? John Henry Cardinal Newman was a convert to the Catholic faith from the Oxford movement in England in the 1800s, but it would be 200 years before he was canonized, or John Duns Scotus. Uh, Franciscan theologians from the Middle Ages. It would be yeah. The Church moves slowly in terms of uh, centuries, oftentimes. Uh, Father Rocky, there is so much uh, that we can uh, talk about when it comes uh, to our beloved late Holy Father uh, Pope Benedict. Um, why do you suppose uh, that uh, so many people misunderstood this great theologian, this great intellect, oh, this great mind? Simple. He stood for something. He stood for truth. And that can really annoy people when you say black is black and white is white and male is male and female is female and right is right and wrong is wrong. People can get really, really frustrated with that. It's not the first time it happened, all right? The wife, would-be wife of Herod, was very upset with John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist is often portrayed as a raving maniac, as are some uh, bishops in this church who um, speak clearly, and I've met some of these bishops, and they don't seem like raving maniacs. They seem very subdued and mild and measured. But when you speak, speak the truth, um, people really get annoyed. It was the same, time, the same as the time of Christ. They didn't crucify Jesus, John, because of what he did, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and raising the dead and changing water. That's not why they crucified Jesus. They crucified Jesus because he got under their skin because he spoke the truth 
and they felt threatened by that. So I think when there was opposition to Benedict XVI, it's because the guy spoke the truth. And so he had the courage, and I don't think he would think he, he I don't think he would regard himself as courage, to um, put a lot of energy in reforming the church because of the sexual abuse going on at all levels, right? And um, the financial irregularities within the Vatican. Yeah, good luck with cleaning that up. Pope Francis still has to work on that. But he spoke the truth, and um, that annoys people. That's all there is to it. Well, Father Rocky, uh, we're down to our final minute. Uh, your final thoughts uh, here uh, on the uh, the life and the legacy of uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. I would say pray for the repose of his soul in the rosary and at Mass, and pray for the Church. You know, the Church is the body of Christ, and uh, sometimes the Church um, prospers and sometimes it doesn't. And the real call for each one of us is the only thing we can really change, John, is ourself. And so today, uh, it'd be good to each person take a look at themselves, okay, what can I change in myself to make myself more like Christ? Humble, Pure, helpful, thoughtful, kind, generous, magnanimous, honest, truthful. You know, and not worry too much about everybody else's problems. That's that's what I would say. Father Rocky, um, I was very moved by his reported final words. Uh, Lord Jesus, I love you. Uh, aside good, from yeah. all the theology and all the book knowledge, it was from the heart. He truly loved the Lord, just like uh, Peter, the first pope, uh, answered to Jesus uh, when he asked him, do you love me? Beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Father God Rocky. God bless you, John. God you bless you. Thanks Thank so, you much so much for being with us. Father Francis Hoffman, Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Continuing our series of Christmas stories today, our story called The Fruitcake by Edith Helena. I was bustling through another Christmas season, grumbling to myself about all I was spending and what a nuisance the malls were. Until one evening I came home exhausted, finally finished just a few days before Christmas Day. I retrieved the mail only to find, amongst the credit card bills and junk mail, a heavy parcel, almost like a cinder block if they made them squishy. With a grim face I read the return address. It was my sister-in-law, for whom I had just purchased an expensive Angora sweater that had cost me upwards of $100 of my hard-earned Christmas bonus. That was it for me. I just snapped. Shoving the rest of the mail aside, I grabbed the ponderous package and took it into the kitchen. I turned on the garbage disposal and tore open the package, ready to destroy the fruitcake that I knew was inside. Just above the fruitcake, however, was a piece of paper that read, The humble fruitcake is a dessert that, like the followers of our Savior Jesus Christ, is often despised despite its sweet nature. It is unfortunate, however, that so many feel this way because, in reality, a fruitcake is very similar to any of the human beings on God's green earth. The brown cake is our flesh, which was originally wrought by God's hands from the dust. Though it's sometimes bitter, it is moist and thick, symbolizing the labor and blood of human existence. The nuts are little crunchy bits of sin that exist in all of us. Since, like the fruitcake, we are made with sin inside of us, and only a higher power can take it out of us, provided we or the fruitcake let him. The bright fruits represent the joys that God gives us to uplift us, like flowers, babies, and puppies. The red cherries especially important because they represent the blood Jesus Christ shed to free us from sin. 
The entire fruitcake is baked until it has a firm crust similar to our skin, but possibly more similar to the shield that many place between themselves and God. As we do with the fruitcake, God needs to cut off a slice of us before the meaty insides and beautiful tasty fruits are exposed to Him. Some people are baked too long and as a result are impervious to God's love, so their tough skin and blinded minds eventually lead them to eternal suffering in hell, just as many an overdone fruitcake is subjected to the trash can, garbage disposal, or family dog. So next time you receive a fruitcake, don't cast it aside with scorn. Where would we be if God had done that to us? Instead, enjoy the fruitcake, share it with your friends and family, and remember what it represents, not only ourselves, but the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth is not only the sole undisputed reason for Christmas, but also the reason that we have fruitcakes today. A tear trickled down my cheek as I finished reading the notes. All this time I've been rushing through Christmas like it was a chore, when I had forgotten the real meaning behind it all. The Christmas joy began to bloom in my heart, and as I finished cramming the fruitcake down the disposal and started preparing the sweater to return to the store, I vowed that I'd never look at Christmas, or a fruitcake for that matter, in the same way again. 1 Timothy 4.4 for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And thanks so much, Glenn, once again. Happy birthday, my brother. And since the live funeral mass for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI took place really early in the morning for most of us here in the U.S. and North America, Relevant Radio will also present a rebroadcast of the funeral mass today at 12 p.m. noon central. And you can watch it. You can listen to it here on Relevant Radio. That'll do it for this special edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverens, producers Gabby Burke, Sarah Tafoya, and our whole Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Viva il Papa Benedetto. God bless Pope Benedict XVI.